You're listening to DraftKings Network. Yeah, maybe no, not yet. The show's about to start, but we just want to ask you a quick favor. We have a hot, hot show uh, coming up with a very special guest, and we do want to ask you for a favor. Look, it's really nice to do a second episode. Look at this, huh? You hear us twice in a week. It's not bad. We would love to do this all the time. We want to make the Cooligans podcast more a part of our lives. We want to do this every set. We want to do this more often. Every day, we want to wake you up on a Sunday like, yo, what's good? Here's what happened yesterday. <laughs> but in order for us to even get to the uh, second episode a week, we need a little help from you guys so what we did is we created the gully squad that's right if you want to help contribute to the show maybe you want to maybe sometimes you feel like hey they're not talking about a thing i want them to talk about this yeah. is, I, I would love to hear comedic content on this particular subject we got a tweet someone says hey man i have a daughter she's really into soccer i would love for you guys to talk more about women's soccer that's what we're doing this for exactly what do we not talk about is there a team we don't talk enough about is there something that happened this week that you want to hear about not just in the regular episode but maybe in the second episode which would be part Partially curated by you guys, by the Gully Squad. And how you join up to the Gully Squad is you go to soccercooligans.com, you click on the menu, and you'll see Gully Squad. And what you can do is you can sign up to be a regular subscriber of our show. Not just subscribe on iTunes or on any other way you get the podcast. You can actually send us a little bit of money every month, which is pretty dope. They've got different levels. We've got one where, hey, man, I just want to give you guys a little love. You know what I mean? And that'd be great. That's dope. And then we got one where we're like, yo, I'm going to send you a lot of love, and I kind (laughs) of want you to talk about what I'm thinking. So uh, you send a lot of love. Love, and then we are obliged to talk about the things that you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about. a whole lot of love. <laughs> you you could be just a little gully, or you could be the gulliest. That's right? right. And it's up to you guys. Look, we love you guys as fans. You guys are really supportive, and we would love for you to continue to support us and make this show as big as possible. And how you do that is go to soccercooligans.com, join the gully squad. It would mean a lot to us. And the and the, when we get to a certain number, you're gonna start to get the second episode all the time. That's right. So uh, so now that we've done that, let us let us get to our show. Let's actually start. Started for <laughs> a very special guest, John Strong. Hey, this is Alexi Lawless. There is nobody in U.S. soccer that is more important than the Cooligans. Yeah, baby! Second episode this, of the week. This is exciting. Yeah, we don't do this very often, but we only do it for the most special of special people. There's got to be like a special reason to do it, you know. <laughs> and this time we're kind of flexing that definition a little bit. No, I'm kidding. This is a very good reason to do it. Uh, you know, come on. If you guys watched the World Cup, I don't know, a couple billion people did. You know, couple, maybe you're one of them. A couple you know billion. I mean? Yeah, that's, that's about right. About right. Yeah. You know, maybe a trillion. Who knows? Right. Let's make up our own rules. What I'm saying is, you probably heard this man's voice. You also heard him on our podcast just before the World Cup. That's right. So I might as well talk to him. He's also going to be calling the game tonight versus this small country that's really starting to learn how to play soccer yeah. called Brazil. It's the U.S. men's <laughs> national team versus Brazil. Never heard of it. Do they yeah. have like uh, any real history or no. any championships? No, I think right now they're all practicing how to roll on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> but put your hands together unless you're driving for the one, the only, John Strong, everybody! Listen, if I'm the reason you guys put on pants and got out of bed today, I'm I'm honored for that. I sort of apologize at the same time. That I sure. drag you in here. That is thank true. Thank you for having me back in. I don't even have to wear pants. Yeah, <laughs> very, co- very bold of you to think we're wearing pants, yeah. John. <laughs> The number of times I wore shorts in Russia because I was only being filmed from here up. Did you really? Yes. Can you get away with that? Yes. Is there ever a moment you're scared that you're going to be asked to get up on camera? No, and that was a very specific concept of how it works with our on-camera shots. When we did games in Sochi, it was hot and humid. 
I would wear shorts and I wear a golf shirt and I would throw on a shirt, dress shirt and a tie for our little on-camera segment. I'd take it off. I'd call the game in my golf shirt and my shorts and I'd throw everything back on at the end of the game. We do our on-camera and then we leave. And I was jealous of, because a lot of the announcers around the world never actually appear on camera. Right. So you can tell, like, the BBC guys showing up because they're but wearing... But they they're not as good looking, shorts so... Shorts and a t-shirt why and would flip-flop. You put that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you do that. Um, and you're sort of jealous of them a little bit, that, like, they can just show up wearing whatever and be comfortable, and I've got this whole thing on. I'm just... Yeah, I'd be furious if it's a hot day and I show up in a suit and there's some dude in flip-flops yeah. walking by. I'm done. I'm furious. That was, the, that was our joke, the Spain-Portugal, the opening game, and it was like 90 and humid, and they're cutting to our on-camera shot. And it's like, hello, we're melting. How, yeah. Good to see you. This I looks terrible on TV right now. I can't let you know in my voice that I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, you were at the World Cup. That's the uh, rumor, anyway. <laughs> uh, it was incredible to watch. We talked to you beforehand. Uh, now, post-World Cup, uh, how, how do you feel about the experience? Uh, looking back on it now. So it's interesting because I was thinking about that when we were here before the World Cup, Stu and I, walking into this building, coming up and talking to you guys. And it was not that long ago, right. but it feels like an absolute lifetime. Sure. And, and trying to think, okay, what was going through my head at that time and the mentality I had versus now coming off the backside of it. I, there's no good way to explain it. I mean, this is something I dreamed of my entire life. It was something that even people who have worked World Cups, Alexi Lawless saying this was by far the hardest. People that have worked major sporting events saying there was nothing that could have prepared us for what the experience was like. And honestly, we've had conversation afterwards going, okay, as we look to France and the women's tournament next year, as we look to Qatar, what have we learned? What can we do better? None of it's applicable because Russia is so unique. The, the transportation, the cities were in all these different parts of it. No sporting event will ever be quite like that. And what made that? Was it because some of the bigger names were getting knocked out? Or was so it the just the fact that it was in Russia? It was more the off-field. But the on-field stuff, it was a unique tournament for that reason. Yeah. That, that it was, people said it was the best World Cup of their lifetime. We had surprises. Very few poor games. We did 17 games. One of them was a, a dud. The yeah. rest were really quite compelling. I think a lot was more off the field. Okay. You know, and sort of things that we knew going in. It's Russia. It's 2018. We're Americans. What could possibly go wrong here? But also... You find yourself in these situations. So some of the cities we were in, these were closed cities in the Soviet days. You could not go in and out, even as other Russians. They were kept off the maps oh that the Soviet cartographers put out because they were of such strategic importance, missile defense, manufacturing. And you feel like you're in a time warp. We're in Nizhny, and we're driving in from the airport, and it's like, okay, when did it become 1965 again? And the houses the outdoor um, utilities, all these different things, the, the tram cars, people walking around, you've gone back in time. And then all of a sudden you look to your right, hey, there's 40,000 Brazilians. Okay, that's interesting. So these unique moments where you realize that there, there are people that have come together in this moment. It will never be like this again. And those are the things that stood out to me, that's is the realization dope. like I'm in something entirely unique. Samara was another. We did Mexico versus Brazil. And it's like, here's all these people that are never going to come back to this place again. <laughs> sure. And you got all these people they're that live gonna, there. They're, not go, they're going to vacation in exactly. Nizhny? Yeah. yeah. And you got these Nizhny locals. Land. Come to Nizhny <laughs> Land. You know? I mean, it's pets. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at it as all the locals close their doors as you walk by. And that's sort of what it is. Like, it's uh, the circus has come to town and they're yeah. looking around. Samara was the one where they were running out of hot water. By the time England was playing mm. there against Sweden, the local utility, their joke was, you know, take showers together because we don't have enough water for all you all. Like, that was what was happening. <laughs> so those types of things. No one's was, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, okay. Yeah. So, so that was what, you know, the uniqueness of being 
a lot of places in a place that should not have been hosting international sporting events. Some of those cities should not have been hosting World Cup games, and yet there we were. So those are the types of things I think that stood out to me. So my next question is, are you excited for Qatar? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you know why? Everything's within a two-hour drive. Yeah, we're not going to need right? to do the, the, the 2 a.m. airports. We're not going to need to do all the you know jamming and coach and Siberian Airlines. Like I think I'm gold status on <laughs> Siberia now. <laughs> because you're going to stay in one hotel and just drive to each stadium. That's the other thing is how yeah. unique – Qatar yeah. is going to be how different that's going to be. So there's nothing that's going to be applicable. Oh, we should do this better with our air transport next time. Well, you're never going to fly on an airplane in Qatar. Right. What was the response to how well Russia played in the World Cup and how that affected the tournament That itself? was really interesting. So we saw that the year before at the Confederations Cup where there was this sort of searing cynicism to Russia and to the Russian team, and they all got I mean, excited. That's, that's every Russian well, throughout their lives. Very <laughs> much. Also, they have a history <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of causing some of that. So there is, I told the story once on air, that there is, uh, so Russia is like Channel 1, one they call it. It's like the main, you know, government controlled channel. Putin TV. And they have they have <laughs> a late night talk problem. show. <laughs> They're a late night talk show. And it is a carbon copy of the host looks exactly like Jimmy Kimmel and the desk looks exactly like Seth Meyers show. <laughs> So, yeah, so it yeah. is this hybrid of, of American late-night TV but done in Russia. So this guy during the spring, his running joke was he was growing a mustache because Stanislav Tuchersov, the Russian manager, had a mustache. And he was mocking him. It was sort of this ironic support of Russia right. who they all knew were going to be terrible. Right. And it was going to embarrass the whole country and no one was going to care. And darn if they didn't hammer Saudi Arabia. And then Salah's shoulder in Egypt had nothing beyond him. And all of a sudden Russia built some – so then later in the tournament – that's become a meme in Russian pop culture is everyone's wearing these Tchersov mustaches. And I'm watching one night, um, and they had – it was like a music video where all these Russian celebrities are donning fake mustaches in this song of support to the Russian team. So they pulled a full 180 from mocking their yeah. team to like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we've been fans the whole time. They're more like us than we thought. And they, it, <laughs> yes, and that's, that's absolutely something you learn when you spend time in Russia. There are many more similarities to the U.S. than you realize. And so they got swept up in it. Like in St. Petersburg, when they beat Egypt, we could barely get back to the hotel. The streets were flooded. Um, we were in Samara when they beat Spain in the shootout. There were people on the streets of Samara. Now, some of that is you have a lot of males, you have a lot of alcohol. Things yeah. We're getting emails like, hey, avoid public displays of Russian nationalism. Like, okay. right. But it was actually kind of fun. It made the World Cup more fun that Russia was good because it got the whole country into it and the whole country was excited. And it was sort of this, you know, you're getting to a point against Croatia in the quarterfinal, where you're like, okay, and then so this data is coming out. That's weird. The Russians are running longer distances than anyone else. Than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And some of the physical data, and they've had these other issues, and maybe it's good they go out now. So maybe it's better <laughs> that you lose to Croatia and we can focus on right. Croatia now. And if they get into a semifinal, maybe this becomes a dicey situation. If they would have won with. the World Cup, it would have been pandemonium. <laughs> it would have been an interesting situation yeah. for FIFA to sort out. So it sort of worked out perfectly. We got you to the quarterfinal. It was fun. It was great. The country was excited. Why don't you step aside now? I think this is going right. to cause us more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> Thank you, Croatia. I don't think anyone said that ever. Thank you, Croatia. Made it a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 Uh, any particular goal or call that was your favorite that stood out for you? I think when I did the thing where uh, Iceland beats Argentina 1-1, that really messed with people, which was sort of fun for me. Yeah. Um, and I do think sleep deprivation was part of it. That was the first of the three games that I called without having slept at all the night before. Okay. So I think that was part of it, that, that sort of my brain. And I said that, and Stu next to me panicked because he didn't understand the reference, and he thought I didn't know what the score was because it was just a couple weeks after there was a NBA playoff game 
where I think it was the the one of the Cavs Warriors games oh, where uh, J.R. Smith, Smith at the time yeah. run out and yeah. like the on the Warriors radio broadcast they thought the game was you know the wrong score and so mm-hmm. Stu starts to panic and he's like scribbling I'm like no I got him no. yeah. <laughs> so that was that was kind of fun. I think in general the moments that we enjoyed most as I said every game was good when North Korea, uh, sorry South Korea knocked out <laughs> Germany. Yeah, um, North Korea knocking out Germany would have been that would have been impressive, given <laughs> yeah. that they weren't actually there. They have the same they yeah. have the same uh, meal plan as the Russians. Speaking of issues for FIFA, had North Korea knocked Germany out, when, when South Korea knocked out Germany, that was really fun because it had never happened before, and it was sort of this incredible moment. It was built up in this great way, and there are three South Korean TV broadcasts. It's on three different networks there, and they were all around us, and they're going bat crap crazy yeah. around yeah. us, that even though they're already out, that they're beating Germany. Um, watching the Croatia story was remarkable, and that was a team, you know, players I'm familiar with, and and I think to the soccer hipster, that was a team coming in, you could see making some noise, but the way they smashed Argentina, and you see Argentina imploding, um, the way they sort of worked their way through and got to the final was, was quite incredible. That's what was fun of it, is because, you know, I think I may have said this to you guys before, international soccer needed a good World Cup, because... That was it. The, the corruption of FIFA, the, the lower profile of international soccer, you have a lot of people in Europe especially that have vested interest in, in the Premier League or the Bundesliga or the Champions League who are spending a lot of time and money telling you we don't need international soccer. This is nonsense because it's not us. So the world needed a good World Cup, and that was what was really fun is to just sort of you know, hang on for dear life to this ride the whole time, which is what it was. I actually felt a little guilty saying it was the best World Cup I'd ever seen because the U.S. wasn't a part of yeah. it. At any point where you were like – Obviously, it's not the cause or effect, but at any point where you're like, man, I wonder what the U.S. would have been able to oh, do sure. in a World Cup like this. Absolutely, but by the same token, I think a lot of people said that. I've heard that a lot. I enjoyed this World Cup more because the U.S. wasn't there. I could just enjoy it as a fan. That's exactly what happened to me. We, just, you, we the, missed every game. I think we only missed like three games total. Yeah. We watched every game. The, the anxiety you have, and it's sort of all this focus. I talked with a, a high-profile uh, national writer who I will not name who said I was so thrilled not to have to spend every waking moment of a World Cup not worrying about Josie Altador's hamstring Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. I could just enjoy the whole thing. Um, well, and it's, s- it's probably the same person who wrote the op-ed. Op-ed. Look, it's, <laughs> it's true. Jeez. There's people. Deep throat of American I'm soccer. Anonymous sources, right? <laughs> and so it was, it was. I mean, we got to do, because had the U.S. been there, we wouldn't have been able to do some of these games we did. You know, we were bouncing all over the place. Yeah, we yeah. would have had to have been in whatever city two right. days before the U.S. game and that focus. So we don't ever want it to happen ever, ever again. Yeah, exactly. But I, there I was a nice benefit to that. Happen, I yeah. think it did. And it also showed with the types of, of audiences and the ratings records we broke for these games, you don't have to have America there. People, the, Guess what? People like soccer in this country, yeah, and they'll get into it. That was one of the interesting things that our, I, I think the mentality going in was a little bit of of a heavy Neymar and Ronaldo and Messi. A lot of the research that we got out of it was actually Americans were far more into Croatia than we realized. And as much as we thought, wow, you know, France Croatia not the sexiest final, it actually did better than it might have because people got into the Croatia story. So if you can get Americans on a large scale to be interested in Croatia at a World Cup, guess what? I think the sport has made it here. Yeah. And, and I think that we're a lot further along than maybe we get credit for sometimes. Um, so people have loved the World Cup. People loved you know, what you guys did in the World Cup. Some people did have some critiques, especially they the did? way Fox handled really? it. I don't know if you got any of this. I mean, people <laughs> what, are tagging you. you know? really? <laughs> don't die. Reason 817 why I'm off social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can yell at me all you want. Yeah. Don't care. Not going to see it. Oh, I want to create a burner account that's you just to see what people tag you as now. So, we've so jokes, I can read those notifications. We joke when we were there because we do a lot of smack talking ourselves sort of in our group. Um our, one of our two Russian security guards had been in the French Foreign Legion, and his nom de guerre was Igor Rasputin when he was Jeez. in the French Foreign Legion. Mm. I mean, this guy was like total 
badass. He was yeah, amazing. Yeah. So we, our joke was we were going to start an Igor Rasputin burner Twitter account. <laughs> and all the things we say about figures in American soccer or other broadcasters mm-hmm. or teams that we can't say out loud, we're just going to use that. So we'll, <laughs> just we'll Igor see if that, is that guy. Yeah, Igor Rasputin with his picture and be like, listen, Columbus crew, here's what we think. And then, you know, we'll go. It is weird. Cause, like, you were, I don't know what criticism you were going to I wasn't going to say. I was going to say, what do you think? Of? Tell me more about what people hated. No, yeah, please. That's I've thing. been in this blissful ignorance <laughs> for months. But please, I, burst my bubble. That'd be well, great. Well, let me pull up Twitter. But the whole computer goes on fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's gotten to a point where it, it's so uh, unreasonable and, and ridiculous, the, the level of criticism. Because I'm watching, this. There's, there's very few broadcasts that I'm watching for almost anything where I'm like, these are incompetent people doing this, and right. I can clearly do better. Well, you know what's funny? I think the criticism wasn't against you guys so much. It was this idea that it was Americanized too much. It was too nascar and too NFL-y than it was a soccer thing. Heaven, heaven also, forbid we model our coverage after the, <laughs> the more popular, most so yeah. popular. But then the other idea is, well, if it was too soccer, then we're like, oh, well, how are Americans going to get interested in it if it's too soccer? So it's these two long, you know, far. Listen, far what I've learned, arguing. whatever you do, you're wrong. Yeah. Whatever you do, someone's going to have a complaint. Someone's going to have a different. Some of it, it's a lot of it's subjective, and a lot of it is just people. We become a lightning rod. Whatever we do, it's going to be wrong because we're Fox and we're not someone else. So that's part of why I've cut off from it. It's not going to make me better. You chirping at me on Twitter because you don't like how I said this or what I said, it's not going to make me better. I'm not going to do it because you want me to do it. So that's a type of thing. It's not being ignorant of your audience. And in fact, it's something, like I mentioned to you, some of this audience research we've done off the back of it to get a better understanding of who the soccer audience actually is. Because by the way, the loudest voices on Twitter don't really represent the broad even American soccer fan, let alone yeah, American sure. sports fan. It, it is a very loud niche of people that I would argue... Cal Martino or Eric Ronaldo would have won the U.S. soccer uh, presidency if the, if the loudest people were the most So accurate. my next statement, unfortunately, because you met, is going to sound like a slander against those two, and I don't mean that, yeah, yeah. I like Eric and Kyle both, both a lot. But what I would argue is that loud niche that, that particularly is overrepresented on social media, I think they've been listened to too much for too long. And I hope that's one of the effects of this World Cup is to realize, now there's going to be people that are going to dip in every four years, and there's going to be more of us that it's a smaller community that we're invested in this every single day. But what I would argue is the actual American soccer fan is much more like the people that are that are dipping in and that respond to those things, yeah. then they are some of the louder voices on social media. And that's yeah. part of where I've cut myself off from it because not only do I disagree with you and not only am I never going to please you, I don't think you're actually as big of a group of people as you tend to think you are and as you are represented as being. That's a would be my <laughs> argument. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, great to be here <laughs> with my you guys. Supreme, you're my Supreme Court pick, dude. I mean, that's a good answer. Uh, I did want to ask about, uh, so let's move on from the World Cup. Uh, a, a couple of things. Let's get into Major League Soccer. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I did enjoy, and I wish they were here uh, and we can, so we can talk to them as well. Maybe hopefully in the future that can happen. But uh, DC United played against New England Revolution, and Fox Sports did mm-hmm. host the, the first all-female uh, broadcast, yeah. uh, and, and that was uh, awesome. Uh, it like, was huge. I know, uh, personally. Danielle Slayton is uh, someone we've always talked about who we're just huge fans of. When yeah. She covers uh, the San Jose Earthquakes and even those the halftime uh, talk with a player or a coach is always, I always find I'm like man this is way more interesting than like kind of a, a, a standard chat so what uh, what effect do you think that will have on broadcasting how was that maybe decision come to at Fox and how was that received so it was that was an internal conversation that had been going on for a while and, and Shaw Brown who's been my producer for many years now has been someone that's been pushing forward and you know you need to have a couple different elements come together to make it work part of it's just schedules as well 
I, I've known and been friends with Danielle since the Women's World Cup in 2015. I love her. She's amazing. And she was so much fun to hang out with in Canada. She's one of my favorite people. Katie Witham were with every single week. And, right. and I couldn't think more highly of her and someone who has been doing this for a lot longer than people realize in MLS. You know, Lisa Byington was someone more from the outside. And she and I had a couple long phone conversations. And that was sort of part of the same thing. Where I was like, don't, don't worry about what people are going to say on social media. Do your job well, do your research, do your thing, and don't care. Here's a couple little things that phrase it this way, use this word just to sort of help out. Right. But by and large, go and do your thing. Their attitude the whole week was it made them almost a little bit uncomfortable because they're like, we don't want it to be about us. If, yeah. if you're doing this right, it's not about you. And so they were a little bit uncomfortable with the amount it was being made about them. And, and exactly. That's going to happen that, the first time. Absolutely. Though. That's, that's going to happen the first and, time. And I, and I say, I get your point that it shouldn't be as big of a deal that we have all women on a broadcast crew, but the fact it's never happened before, so it is. Um, and we've already talked about can we find, where else can we find games for them? Right. You know, to work their way in, particularly around these big tournaments and, I, you know, whatever people, the plans are for Women's World Cup. I thought it was great. And I agree with you. I, I, I love what Daniel does. I'd love. You know, not that I don't love Chris Dangerfield, who's the analyst on San Jose Earthquakes broadcast, has been for a long time. I'd love to see Danielle get a higher profile game analyst role. Um, I think Lisa did a tremendous job, and I think she's, she does a lot of different things for the Big Ten Network. Um, she really enjoyed coming into it. Uh, obviously, as Katie, I love, and she's yeah. one of my best friends. We're with her every week. And what was also cool about it, and this is something that I do like about MLS and American soccer, is the amount of support internally. They were taken aback by how many of the people around the league, how many of the players involved in the game went out of their way to poke their head in the room and say, hey, this is so cool you guys are doing this. Good luck. I love it. That type of thing, I think, is something that is special and is different about soccer in America from some other sports where you might get more static and noise about that sort of a thing. Yeah, they, and there was even uh, there was a guy on some British show being like uh, something I, I don't – He's like, I don't mind women oh, broadcasting. Dur- during the World Cup. Yeah. One, one of their, like, but their voices. The voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the hosts on sort of like, like a, you know, the Today Show. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Do not underestimate, something that I've learned the last couple of years, do not underestimate the amount of pervasive and soul-crushing sexism that exists in Europe, particularly even in England, yes, yeah. around this sport. And it is still very much this idea of this is the man's domain and any of the women, and, and both ITV and the BBC had female analysts, both of whom were England internationals, and both of whom received an inordinate amount of criticism, largely just because they're female. Right. And, and, and you see that around in a lot of the advertising. Like, you come into the airport in Kazan, and there's, you know, the big billboards sort of in baggage claim. One of them is, I'm trying to, for uh, Twin Peaks, a great, few, great food, great views. What do you think? And the other's for a strip club. And that's like your thing yeah, of like, yeah. welcome to Kazan. <laughs> yeah. You know, here are the strip clubs and the Hooters. Like yeah, that we got sort of a thing. <laughs> yeah. That that's sort of a thing <laughs> that right, exists Kazan. there. And that, that's a very normal thing. And so that's another thing that as much as we try to take our cues from Europe, guess what? There's a lot that isn't great over there. And this is something we can do better and be better at is just, yeah, we're going to have three women on the broadcast. Who cares? Go do your job well. And they do their job well. I have a question regarding the game that you're about to call. Back to calling U.S. Men's National yeah. Team. I uh, got to feel good. Coaching situation still not figured out. Mm-hmm. A lot of young crop of uh, players. Uh, look, we're playing Brazil, okay? It's probably not going to be the I've easiest. Yeah, yeah, it's probably <laughs> not going to be okay. the easiest match. And they got a lot to, to respond to after a pretty bad World Cup. Uh, second one in a row. Uh, what are you looking forward to? What do you, how do you think the U.S. team is going to react? Well, what is it specifically that you're looking to get out of this? Because we don't need to win so much as we need to start to play well and start to unify the youth, I think. Yeah, what is it that it's you're building for? confidence and continuity internally. Um, I also think, too, I think it's, you need to win hearts and minds back. 
We just had, as you said, we had an insanely popular World Cup. Guess who wasn't there? Yeah. Where does the U.S. men's national team rank, even amongst soccer teams in this country, as compared to the U.S. women, as compared to Mexico, as compared to Manchester United? Yeah. You know, and, and in the wake of failing to qualify, and even I, you could argue in the year or two before the Trinidad game, you could, some of the, the buzz was off, some of the fun was out of it. It had sort of, and different people could be to blame for that. So you need to sort of get back to that point where the U.S. men's team certainly on the men's side, not you know, at the expense of the women's team, is the tip of the spear of, of, of soccer in this country. And, and that's the, the icon, it's the paragon, it's the team we all sort of are interested in. Um, and they have to be exciting to watch, they have to be fun, they have to be good. So this is part of the process back. I like they're playing these tough games. There's a risk-reward. That's part of our storyline for tonight's game. The, the risk of, do you just go out and play and say, let's go after this and gain something from it at the risk of losing 7 nothing? Right. Or do you sit back and defend and maybe you, you minimize the damage, but are you really learning from that? Right. One of the nice things, and I've heard this often, the benefits of youth, they don't know any better. These guys are confident. Tim Weah, okay, Neymar, you're my teammate. Let's go play. Yeah. I don't care. You know? yeah. and, and a lot of these players, pardon me, have that confidence where they're going to go out and play. And, and they know how to be smart in certain moments, and they might take a bit of a thumping. But I also look back to the other lowest point the U.S. men's team has had was the 98 World Cup. In the year and a half after that, you had two wins over Germany. You had a win over Argentina. You had about a year and a half later a first win over Mexico in eight years. Like, they picked off some friendly results. Right. I don't believe in a meaningless game. I actually don't think that exists. The, the more time I've spent around players and coaches, there's always something in it. So this can absolutely be something we look back on, a lot of these things, in a couple of years and go, boy, you know, remember that Brazil game in New Jersey on a Friday night when no one was paying attention because the NFL season just started? But you know what? They got a win in that game. It was only the second time they'd ever beaten Brazil ever. And the confidence they gained out of that, the momentum they gained out of it, these are all important opportunities. So that's where I think as much as you're still in this odd interim period with Dave Sarikin and there's still sort of a, an uncertain sense of what the future direction is because you're waiting for that coach and then the dominoes right. will fall, for the players themselves, there is fully an idea of, hey, we're building something here. And we want to keep going on that path. Is there any uh, opinion you have on who the, the next coach should be? We I was going to ask the same question. Argue about it all the time. So uh, do we. Yeah. <laughs> we honestly, our dinner conversations, you know, conversations in the back of taxis, we have the same chats you guys do. Yeah. Oh, I, thought, I thought you meant like uh, with your, less, fa with your less family. Less profane. <laughs> but with your wife. With my, no. Because <laughs> that's the thing. So my you wife. don't know nothing, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, because my wife was a, was a professional player. She was a college player. So we actually our conversations at home are far more soccer nerdy than I think most of my colleagues. That's which is so quite dude, fun. Can we be invited for dinner sometime? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so a lot of cool. fun. <laughs> Just, Do you have uh, someone in mind? Are you allowed to have someone in mind? So obviously, I mean, yeah, one of the dangers if I come out and say, I think this guy should be the coach yeah. and then the other guy is and then he's looking at me going, really? <laughs> yeah. um, one of the points was made to me yesterday in talking to someone with the Federation was, you know, Ernie Stewart as the guy who, and you can argue about all the different influences and the different right. voices in the conversation, but ostensibly the guy who's in charge of this coaching search. And, and with this person who is known, has been around the program for a long time, said, no one cared more about playing for the United States than Ernie Stewart. Not that he, you know, other people didn't care as much, but just right. there was no one who cared more than Ernie Stewart. And a guy who had a deep, deep fear of flying, but would get on an airplane coming back from Europe to play for his national team. And it wasn't, again, he wasn't necessarily born in the U.S., right. but he cared deeply. Alexi Lawless, one of the points that he made, I asked him this question last night, and he said there was never an issue with Ernie, full commitment to play for the national team, in a way that for some of the other dual nationals, there was always a little bit of, do you really care or are you just here? Yeah. So that is something that Ernie has made a priority 
in this search is finding some, whether it's a player or a coach or a staff member, you care about this more than anything else. Okay. Because the amount of effort and energy it's going to take to fix all these different pieces with the U.S. men's program beyond just getting the team to the next World Cup, it can't be a vanity project. It can't be a stepping stone to a bigger job. It can't be I'm going to take another notch off my belt if I've taken four other teams to the World Cup. This has got to mean something to you because you're going to have to invest a lot of yourself in it. So does that end up probably being a guy who's a former U.S. international, probably being a guy who has extensive experience in MLS? It probably is because that's a profile of what you're looking for. I would say specific to candidates, any of these guys, Greg Berhalter, Greg Vanny, Peter Vermees, Jesse Marsh. I know Caleb Porter would love to get this job at some point. I think right now his focus is getting back in, into club management. Right. I have no problem with any of those guys. And we actually so, – so Berhalter has become the name on everyone's lips, even though Ernie Stewart has been honest saying, I haven't even gotten that far. So we had in Zach's. What's he doing? <laughs> well, so that, that's we're gonna have him on tonight. Our pretty yeah. much one of the questions, not, but just like you know what? Because I think right now it's conversations. It's getting a full picture of everyone's viewpoint of this, and he's been a fly on the walls. Has been described of this camp was not involved in team selection. Is not involved in lineup decisions but is just trying to observe and get a handle on what's going on before yeah. he comes in and just starts unilaterally making decisions. Um, but we asked Zach Steffen, Will Trapp, and Jossie's artists, all who play for Greg Burhalter, all who have been with him for a different amount of time. What do you think? I'm not, telling, I'm not asking you if, if you think he should be the coach, but what do you think of – they all speak glowingly of him. Of course. Uh, of, his, of his man management, which has gotten a lot better. We've seen that. It's a very different Greg Burhalter we meet with than a couple years ago. Um, his ability to create a system – where any number of players can be plugged in. You know, Jossie's artist said that. He, I get plugged into the system. I banged in 15 goals more than the last three years combined. Yeah, yeah no, we're with all the very Galaxy. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> you the know, guy was becoming a, uh, you know, a back, yeah. a backline guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. and he was, uh, this time last year, he was about to become right back for a yeah. month with the LA Galaxy. Zach Steffen has come in and from a guy that was sort of battered and bruised and beaten from a, a really unsuccessful time in Germany, now he looks to be like the, the top of the heap of the young goalkeepers. Will Trapp is someone else who I think is easy the Will Traps and the Christian Roldans and some of these guys, who you, do you really think of them as international caliber players? Do you really think of them on the same level as a Weston McKinney or Christian Pulisic? That's what we're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. And yet Will Trapp will speak about, he's helped me understand what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and be able to focus on what I'm good at. And he, as someone who is not afraid to speak critically of other coaches that he has had, as much as he's nice Midwestern boy, he has real opinions. Yeah. And he is not lying when he talks about the, how he feels great. So any of these guys is my point. I think would actually do a very good job. Whether it's I'm advocating for one over the other, I don't know that I have a real opinion on that because I think any of them would do good. Yeah, I think Burhalter is definitely the the name we hear more more often, especially the last like two weeks. But it it, it is odd in that I, he's he's the personality mm -hmm. that he doesn't really show it. Yep. That he's he's not a very public. Uh, and that's part of it, by but the way. It's an important part of it. But because he's from Jersey, so you know he's got like <laughs> swag to him. And that's, I think, the thing. You need to have you need to have that outward personality. You are the face of the national yeah, yeah. team. You yeah. need to be a salesman. You need to be an advocate. You need to have those things. You can't just sit behind the scenes. To that and point, be a coach. Some people have said this Bob Bradley. We want this Bob Bradley to be the so coach. So that's interesting. <laughs> I've talked to a couple of people. Um, including the same high-profile writer who I spoke about with Josie Altador's hamstring. I said, who would you have the coach? And he goes, Bob. And that's a fascinating one. The, the you can't Bob, bring another old coach back because the last time you did it, it I think that's the issue because yeah. I think in a vacuum, the, the Bob Bradley reclamation project from when he was chased out with 
tor- torches and pitchforks yeah. for Jurgen in 2011. <laughs> and trust me, he has not forgotten any of that. The Bradley family has long memories for things, yeah. which is part of what drives them. And I and I love and respect both of them in part because I don't want to get on that list. Also, Jerry's. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but what he's done since to to sort of remake himself and what he's done in LAFC is incredible. And, and that exactly to your point, had he not been a former national team coach and had you not had the the bitter taste in the mouth from the last time we brought in a former national team coach, I think Bob goes to the top of the And list. he's got more bravado now. Like, now he's out. Now he tells you exactly yeah. how he feels. Here's my pick. Jorge Sampaoli. <laughs> so, here we go. How, how is he at the World Cup? <laughs> it's not his fault. Listen, from an entertainment once. standpoint, Miguel Herrera. Why not? Let's do, if we're going to yeah. do this, let's do this. Okay. Let, let's make it a drama. But I think that's the point is I, I do – and I would say the same thing. If, if Tata Martino were interested, uh, if Patrick Vieira were interested – Absolutely. I mean, these are guys who I've grown in great respect and admiration for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Tata's interested in leaving Atlanta for anything ever, and, and obviously Patrick has gone over to France. So it doesn't have to be an American. I get the idea of a comfort and familiarity with English is useful if you're going to have someone who's a – although, as we learned uh, on our air last week, Tata Martino knows more English than you think he does. Yeah, yeah, he does. Drops a live <laughs> F-bomb with the DCM. Yeah. I love the way you handle it. Amazing television. You handled it with panache. Like, we have to apologize, but we're th- that's brilliant. That's the yeah. best thing that's happened all year to us. Um, How can you be proud if someone's like, your kid does something wrong, but it was defending someone else? That's exactly what it's it is. Like, you're like, I'm proud of you. I have to apologize yeah, yeah, for this, but yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go in there and lie to everyone, but I'm proud of you. Yeah. So that's sort of a thing you need to have. I get that. So it's not that like you have to be an American, but I also think there's a benefit to having someone, like I said before, who... This is the most important job I'm ever going to have in my life is trying to – this reclamation pro- – you're not – this is not a – we're not just changing the drapes, maybe move that couch over there. This is a full floor-to-ceiling rebuild of the whole thing. And so do you have someone in there that is as invested in it as the rest of us are on the outside? Right. Can you find someone that is as angry as the rest of us are on the outside that this team missed the World Cup? Can you find that t- sort of person? I think I think I would love Tata Martino to be it, but I don't think he's a long-term option because if and he, he does really well... He, wild he would horses go. would drag him away from Atlanta, Yeah, honestly. Honest. Well, I'm happy for that. I think Burhalter is the type of dude who brings with him a system, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Vermaes does that. Or well, Peter has adaptable. his systems. I, I, the, my sort of completely off the outside. I have no I have no internal knowledge of this. I, I don't think Peter Vermees is going to leave Kansas City. I think there's so much he's invested in that project and they're doing big infrastructure things. I don't think he wants to give that up. My argument you know, for Burhalter, as I mentioned, I think my argument for Greg Vanny is as much as this year has not gone the way he wanted. Greg Vanny is an interesting choice for me. Has experience over in Europe. Yeah. Has managed some big personalities in a locker room. Treble. But, and also in doing that, and this is something he was very proud of last year, this is maybe the best season in MLS history that he helped put together from what had been a formerly incredibly dysfunctional organization, right? Also, as he was quick to point out, eight of his regular starting 11 last year were North American players. So obviously, Michael and Josie are outliers, and Javinko is pretty good, and Victor Vasquez was good coming in. Your goalkeepers are Alex Bono and Clint Irwin. Yeah. You're getting production from Nick Haglins and Eric Zavaletas and Justin Moros and Stephen Betashers. You're not buying an expensive team from the rest of the world. These yeah. are North American guys. He's made Jonathan Osorio in, into a high-quality He's a Canadian slam. hero. Soon a Colombian-Canadian hero. And soon <laughs> so that's sort, of an an argu- th- th- that's sort of an argument for me for what Vanny has been able to accomplish. Jesse Marsh is another guy who, who took – a really unsettled situation with the Red Bulls in, in the wake of Mike Pecky's firing and, a, and a, sort of a broken locker room and built that into a team in such a way that he leaves mid-season and Chris Armas comes in with no previous head coaching experience. Have they missed a beat at all? Yeah, and, right. would, you know, they've, they've got an edge right now in Atlanta potentially to win the supporters. Yeah. Shield. So I think there's really compelling arguments to make for all these guys. All right. I, I, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> two quick things and then we'll wrap up. 
Uh, well, they're Are you not saying gonna, I'm talking too? They're long? not. They're not going to be quick okay. things, actually. Yeah. Uh, Alexi Lalas, a couple weeks ago. Hey, hey. <laughs> our hero. <laughs> Everybody loves him. Nobody speaks ill of him online ever. And here's the part we're going to have to cut, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, he did. He did take time to talk about the Columbus Crew situation. Ooh. And some people felt I, this. I personally felt it was a little, uh, a little glib. You know, uh, but he's been I, accused of that. Yeah, and and not, but not. But he's like in a realist sort of yes, way. Yes, yes, yeah. he is very. Uh, I think he's being sincere in his beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- a couple of things because we talked about it. Yeah, and and I've had this conversation with him in in Toronto last year. He and I had a long conversation over beers about the Columbus situations. Okay, this is something that again we talk about this ourselves. Yeah, a lot. yeah. I, I definitely don't yeah. think he's insensitive to the situation. No, no, no. But yeah. he is a realist. Yes. Yeah. So, but the interesting thing, and that I'm enjoying uh, a lot, especially during the Fox Sports uh, broadcast, is that that halftime mm-hmm. segment is being used, uh, whether it's it's to get some attention uh, or it's to, the soapbox time. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. let's let's have a conversation. Listen, and sometimes we get 90 seconds. If if yeah. if we have a long first half. If we had a couple goals, we're trying to get those highlights in. Sometimes we're pretty squeezed for time. So yeah. people get upset, oh, it was too quick. Well, that's the reality of commercial television. But ideally, that time is meant for everyone's talking about this. Let's talk about it, too. Right. Yeah. It was like a family guy when the, uh, the the dad character, I forget his name, became the host of the news. Peter Griffin. Peter Griffin. And he we're really, started. We're really grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah, we're really grinds my gears. He was just talking shit this about people. This the crew situation. Yeah. It really grinds my gears. gears. I love that. That's kind of what the halftime has become. It's like, well, here's something pissing me off. That's what we do. We come, we, but that's we, good, right? We call it the, the second segment. Uh, is because second segment of halftime. And so that's yeah. a part, during the week, okay, Stu, what do you want to do second segment this week? What yeah. do you want to talk about? What do you want to build out? And, and sometimes there have been times, including recently, where we had something big we've been working on all week, and at the last minute we go, it's going to be dicey. I think this is not worth, and so we've, we've killed off a couple things sometimes. Clearly, Alexi's never had that thought. This is going to be dicey. <laughs> not <laughs> entirely <laughs> true, <laughs> but less often than Stu. Oh, yeah. God, can I please, please, someone send, send yeah. tell Alexi the list, the to list tweet of at us what it was that he canceled segments say. that we've done in that second yeah. segment, by the way. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, well, like, what doesn't make it to air yeah, must be precisely. incredible. As, 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 your, as your producer's just putting it in a shredder <laughs> yeah, exactly. so no one will ever Destroy see it Destroy this so we never talk about this again. <laughs> what is your, uh, what, I guess the simple can question you have is, a thought? What is your take yeah, on no. uh, on the Columbus situation? So the Columbus crew situation is is terrible in every possible way. The, the starting point, and this is the conversation Alexi and I had. Go back, so what was it, last like September when, when pre-court came out with the Austin stuff. Go one day before that. Would anyone not agree with the idea that clearly something was wrong in Columbus? Clearly it's not working right, there. Yeah. And by the way, it's not working in a lot of the original. Most of the MLS clubs that are not really working well right now are the originals. Colorado, Dallas is unique, but they have their struggles. D.C. United had been struggling for a while. They're sort of coming to life. Chicago, we're going to Chicago next week. It's part of, I'm going to try to sit down with Delston Rodriguez and be like, Nelson, what's going on here? Yeah. So the, the Those crew, the your teams. crew is going to double the attendance at the, at the <laughs> Chicago game. Anyway, thanks for having me. Uh, so that's, that's part of this. The honest truth is that it hasn't been working for a while. That's why... Precourt bought the team at the price he did because it was on the market for a long time and they couldn't find a buyer. I mean, that, that's that's the honest reality, and it makes us all sad. It's not Chicago. It's not Colorado. It's not Kansas City, which basically blew it up and restarted. This is Columbus. This is a meaningful city. This is a meaningful stadium. You know, that was one of my bucket list things was to call a U.S. Mexico in Columbus yeah. at Crew Stadium. So, the, but the honest reality is clearly something is is really broken there. And even as they, the, a lot of the save the crew efforts, the actual manpower but the actual people showing up has been like they had a rally outside the ohio state capitol i'm looking to go okay let's really show it's a couple hundred people 
It needs to be more than that. That's the honest reality. The, the problem is the way in which this has been done has been incredibly poor. It yeah. just has. The, the announcing it in the middle of a season. I come home. We did um, the other week. We did the Seattle-Portland game. We did our highlight. Columbus had, I think, come from behind to beat New York City. They're having a great season. And the next day on my doorstep, I get a package of Austin FC t-shirts and, like, bumper stickers, which is the implicit thing of, like, you know, post about us on social media. Well, yeah, the joke's yeah. on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the, this thing, it's terrible. You've got the season going on. You've got a good team. You've got and they're good... still trying to get season tickets for next year. And yet Columbus. you're doing the, uh, you know, and, and the way it's been handled, the way it's been rolled out, and there I think people internally at MLS will tell you that. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that it's morally wrong right. to look at it and say, clearly something's not working here in yeah. Columbus. Right. I think it's also tough because you have all these cities around the country clamoring for a team. What's happening in Cincinnati is amazing. I've long been an advocate for Sacramento. San Antonio has built something good there. For goodness sakes, we had two teams in Oklahoma City at one point, and yeah. Austin has never really gotten off the ground. I'm one of the few people who can actually speak with any knowledge on this because I did a handful of Austin Aztecs games in Austin in 2009 and in 2010 when they were playing against the Timbers. It wasn't working there at all. There was just no interest, and yeah, they ended yeah. up moving to Orlando. That's what Orlando is, came from Austin. Right. So that's the other awkwardness of, like, you're going to uproot not just one of the originals but one of the really important places, and you're going to move it to a city that doesn't seem to have a whole – massive ton of interest, particularly as compared to some of the other cities. So the whole thing's terrible. So I, I don't think there is a good, you know, and, and there are some people who have the attitude of, listen, it's ugly now, but in five years, no one's even going to remember this. I don't know that's true. Yeah. I, 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 as much as there's a lot going right, there are a lot of, you know, Houston is the other example of a team that moved from San Jose and we gave San Jose their team back. You see the struggles the earthquakes are having. Yeah. And Houston was getting 30000 a game at Robertson Stadium, winning back-to-back -back titles. They actually did things right. They built their stadium in an incredible location. Downtown, yeah. They can't get people to go. So it's it's you can't just roll it out and expect it to work. You, you have to get these things right. And so that, that's part of it. As much as we look at MLS and we go, God, Atlanta, amazing. The Northwest has already been amazing. LAFC, incredible. incredible All these yeah. places, so excited for Cincinnati. Even Nashville. We've gone to Nashville a couple times for games. It's been great. And yet you have this, this decidedly ugly situation. It's ugly for the sake of Columbus. It's sort of ugly for the sake of Austin. It's ugly for American soccer. But I think it's also not nearly as simple as saying it's, it's a black and white thing. Because there's yeah. a lot that had been wrong in Columbus, and there's a lot that seems wrong in Austin. And I don't know what the answer is. And it's also one of the things I think it's a misconception about Don Garber in this situation. He's not like the commissioner of the NFL of the NBA, where he can just unilaterally come in and say, no, 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 we're not going to do this. He doesn't, he's working at the behest of the owners. It's much more about the ownership group and what they, that's the better conversation. We talk about that ourselves. It's not about pegging Don Garber with questions. It's not even about, hey, GMs, what do you think? It's the, the owners are the ones who are really in control of this thing. That's the room it's worth having an ear in. That's the people right. it's worth having conversations And at with. least Arthur Blank did make a comment about yeah. saying, like, he, he hey, thinks it could, it could work. Hey, Merritt. Hey, Rob Heineman. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, Phil Anschutz, all these guys that are involved in a big way. Robert Kraft, what, what's going on here? What do you think of yeah, this? Yeah. What, what do you really think? How, how can we make this right in whatever form it takes? Do you give a team back to Columbus at some point? If it does move to Austin, do you redirect it somewhere else? What's the right way to fix this? Because it is absolutely an ugly stain on what is otherwise yeah. a really good time for American soccer. There's no, there's no easy way to do this, but no. I think we would there's all no agree. There's no easy this answers. This isn't the easiest. <laughs> We're not doing it the right way either. And there's very little good about it right now. And, right. and absolutely, my hope is do we get to a point where maybe it is, and we go, it was ugly at the time, but it's worked out good for everyone involved? That'd be awesome. But to your point, it's sort of hard to, what exactly is that answer going to be right, right. now? And it's yeah. a shame because I don't think 
the long-serving fans in Columbus deserve this. I don't think that Americans, I don't think an MLS deserves this. I don't think this is representative necessarily of MLS, of the other things that are going, that they're doing right. This is bad for soccer. That this seems like an an outlier, but it also can't just sort of be dismissed. It it does deserve the attention. It's weird. It's like the old MLS owners are like uh, not saying anything, and then the new MLS owners are like, just do Atlanta. Just do Atlanta. Where I I just did Atlanta. Just do Atlanta. Just spend a billion dollars. (laughs) Uncle Arthur's like, do you want me to just like, Print out what I did because yeah. uh, you yeah. could do it. Yeah. All right. And lastly, the MLS playoffs are coming up very soon. Yes. Um, Live on FS1 and MLS Cup on the Fox Network Saturday, December 8th. We're That's very excited. That's right. So uh, let's I, hope I it's know. not in a cold winter city. <laughs> Please. I know you. No, I liked. Uh, dude, Toronto was amazing. Yeah, you were inside. Okay. You <laughs> must have enjoyed more. it with your heat and your and your stale chicken. No, no, we, and we, and your hot, we opened your the hot windows. Coffee. <laughs> I'll take Get that over here. New York in August and September, thank you. I'm, you got inside it's on awful. this <laughs> We were very cold. That's we were I, up at the top. They're giving us blankets. Why are you giving me a blanket, dog? <laughs> I know you probably can't root for a particular team, but who do you think might uh, be at the top of each conference uh, in that final? I, I think it's fascinating right now between the Red Bulls and Atlanta. I think the Red Bulls have done this before. Um, for all that Atlanta have, the Red Bulls have been there before. I think Atlanta's challenge is going to be the depth, the injuries they've had, and just making sure that they stay on this role because the Red Bulls know exactly what they're doing, and I, and I have such admiration for that club and for that team. In the Western Conference, Dallas is fascinating because a couple weeks ago, it looked like the seeds of what happened last year, they were going to fall apart, yeah. and they kept it together. And LAFC, and listen, LAFC have a hurdle to overcome now. Laurent Simon was a great player for them, was very influential, and now he's left. So how the do back you... backline stunk with them. I mean, what are they going to do now? <laughs> but but you know, the leadership component, that sort of thing. But as we've all said, what they've built is amazing, and what Bob Brad is doing is pretty impressive. Kansas City, four straight years, they've crashed out. They've fallen apart in the fall. They've gone on the road in the knockout round, and they've lost. They've not advanced in the playoffs. They've not even had a home playoff game since winning MLS Cup. So, so those types of dynamics are fascinating. Seattle roaring to life. Can D.C. get all the way through? That's what I like. And we talk about how do we make the regular season matter, you know, and all these larger picture things at MLS. And that's part of it is get to a point where there are enough good teams and there's enough consequence to finishing different spots in the standings. Yeah, yeah, the games in March and April and May, maybe it's in retrospect, are significant. As far as where I want it to end up, all I ever want, I want to be in a place like what Toronto was two years ago, where it seemed like the entire city was into it. And the entire city was fired up, and the stands were full, and it was loud, and it was a great game. And it was cold. I love the cold far more so than I love the heat. But I get I'm unique in that yeah. regard. That's what I want. End up in a place, and if it ends up being Atlanta, if it ends up being LAFC, be in a place where it matters to the city, where it feels like a big event. And that's been a challenge sometimes for MLS Cup. Particularly now it's on 10 days' notice. You're in a particular city. Yeah. Can you get the whole city excited? Some MLS cities are into their team and will be into MLS Cup. Other MLS cities, perhaps less so. So my rooting interests are more about I want to fly in that week to a place where it seems like the entire city is fired up for MLS Cup. That's what I want. Like, like, like in Nizhny and yeah. 40,000 Brazilians. Nizhny, Samara, Rostov. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to give you any restaurant recommendations for Rostov? There yeah. aren't any, so there's yeah. a starting point. No more borscht. Uh, yeah. I have one simple quick last question. Uh, he has uh, uh, been picked for the roster. He might start. Uh, how do you pronounce his name? He's a forward in the U.S. Is it Andrea? Novakovic. 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 All right. All right. <laughs> and by the way, he's got a lot of family in. He's a native of Milwaukee. He's of Serbian descent. They've come in droves to every game that he's played. 
they all flew in and they're going to drive to Nashville, the Novakovic family, and they are going to go ballistic. Like, if he gets on the field and if he can score, they I want to call nutty, that right? first goal because his family is hardcore. They were there for <laughs> his so first like, call-up. And they, yeah. the whole family, the mom's crying. The guy's in not even touching the field. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that kind of stuff, I love it. I, his, yeah. his story is fascinating. So I love players like that coming really cool. All right. Well, John Strong, you will be calling the game uh, tonight, the USA uh, men's national team against Brazil at MetLife uh, Stadium. If we can get there in traffic, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Start now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It means the world. Uh, thank you I, I'm glad you had I a good World Cup, and thank you for your work and effort, uh, your tireless effort at thank the World Cup. Thank you for watching. We yeah. needed the ratings. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing great. All right, guys, uh, thanks again for watching this special episode. We always do, we'll do our, our, our outro, and it'll be an honor to do it uh, with John Strong. We we just kind of yell the cooligans uh, after at the, end, exactly at, the, at the end of each show. Okay. Uh, so it'll totally make sense as soon as we do it. Uh, so um, for John Strong, my name is Christian Polanco. My name is Alexis Guerrero. And together, together what, what are, are we? we? The, the Cooligans! Cool <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs>